From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. Wow. July is not that much left to July. Unbelievable. So um, we are going to look at uh, the Torah portion as we do a Daily Power Parsha. Today, uh, this week's Torah portion is Pinchas. And because it's Wednesday, we're going to cover reading number four. Now, just before we jump into the, into the new reading... So it's just important to understand what, what we left off with yesterday. So we've talked about this historical portion. We did a census, counted the Jewish people. And when I say the Jewish people, I mean that the 12 tribes, excluding the tribe of Levi, counting the men, the men, uh, military age, which is 20 to 60, which roughly corresponds to um, household, kind of householder information. So that was counted Though they were counted, and then God, and then the Torah segued into a discussion about dividing the land, and we we discussed yesterday how that's divided, both logically and also by luck, as it were, through a goro, through a talking lottery. So you had both elements of figuring things out and also being guided by this higher force, which is a divine uh, ordination. So that's what that's that was the next piece of it. So we counted the people, and then we said, okay, these people that were counted, all these heads of household, they're all going to get a piece divided into territories of the land of Israel. And then we learned about the daughters of Tzalavchar. because after all that counting and allocating the land, they got left out. Why did they get left out? Because there was no male in the family. The father was married had five daughters, so husband and wife, five, daughter, five daughters, the husband dies. So there's no, there are no men in the family. So there's no head of household to count, number one. There are no sons that can now assume that role of male head of household. It's women, five daughters and presumably their mother, although we don't read much about her mother at all, um, but we would assume that, that her mother was around. And so they come to Moses and to Elazar. As Rashi said yesterday, first to Elazar, he didn't know, they came to Moses. He also didn't know. And they said, hey, what's the deal? We don't want to be left out. Our father should have received an allocation. He was one of the original families. He's not around. You know, we're, we're here. There's no son. And it seems like we're going to get cut out because we're not male. Women's rights, women's empowerment. This is not okay. And Moses says, okay, you got a good point. Let me take this up with the boss. I also explained yesterday that why did he take it up with God? Multiple reasons, including the one that I, I'm sure you could tell that I like this one, is the fact that they told him at some point that our father died, but not because he didn't like you. Oh, now that's already saying that he kind of liked you. He was a Moses fan. He had your poster up in his bedroom. So now it's like, okay, so one second. Now you're flattering. Moses says, I can't judge this impartially. Of course, I'm going to give you land. In fact, I'll give you your neighbor's land. I like you guys. You get everything. So Moses doesn't, doesn't rule on this. He goes to the big boss. And now we see what God says. Numbers chapter 27, verse 6. We begin reading 
Number four, the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Salavchad's daughter, speak justly. Look at that. Salavchad's daughter, speak justly. They're right. You shall certainly give them a portion of inheritance along with their father's brothers. Look at that. Look at that language. Along, get, you shall certainly give them a portion of inheritance along with their father's brothers. Remember, their father came from a family before and their father had brothers. Salavchad had brothers. Hey, Sarah, welcome. So their father had brothers and they certainly inherited, but Salavchad was dead. He was no longer alive. There were no sons. Don't worry, God says, you're going to get land along with your uncles. And you shall transfer, God says to Moses, you shall transfer their father's inheritance to them, to the daughters. And it's not just a private answer. This now becomes a mitzvah. Take a look at how the mitzvah is formulated. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, as Allah for all time, if a man dies and has no son, you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. By the way, I'm going to explain. I know I've explained this many times before, and even yesterday I touched on this. It's very important to, to recognize that these laws, are, are, although Torah is timeless, etc., but these laws also reflect a reality of the time that's been, and that was for a lot, a lot of human history. And that is that, and, and that that reality was or is that the the, um, the heads of household would be the men. The daughters would ultimately get married, please God, and they would then take on the, the land. They would live with their husbands in his portion. So the daughters didn't necessarily need their own inheritance. I hope that makes sense. In other words, the daughters were anyway, right, we... I, by and large, let's just say, right? The daughters would get married and then they would assume their husband's land inheritance. They would, that, that, they would be part of that. So then who did the father's inheritance go to? The son. But if there's no son, then of course it goes to the daughter. I, I shouldn't say of course. God says it should go to the daughter. Now, if he has no daughter, so now we get the laws of inheritance. God says clearly I need to roll this out. So we get the full rollout. If he has no daughter... You shall, give, you shall give over his inheritance to his brothers. So the chain, of, the, chain of, of the flow is father to son, if no son, daughter, if no son or daughter, then sibling, his, the deceased, the deceased's brother. If he has no brothers, then you shall give over his inheritance to his father's brothers, his uncles. Now, if his father has no brothers, no uncles, so no kids, no siblings, no uncles, what, what do we do now? What if he had nephews from his brother, but the brother was dead? I believe that it would go, well, I mean, take a look at the next verse. If his father has no brothers, you shall give over his inheritance to the kinsman closest to him and his family. So that, that's a catch-all that would certainly include nephews. But I think your question is, is more than that. Your question is, hold on, Sh do we put that before any of these other steps? So let's just think about this for a second. Let's just think, um, let's think, 
about steps um, you know removed from the from the deceased. So we start off with son, no son, daughter, no daughter, sibling. Okay, no sibling. Then we go up, father's brother. So your question is, hold on, we went up and across. Why not just go across and down? Brother's child, nephew. That's a really good question. Why would we put the uncle, theoretically, before nephew? Especially since inheritance usually flows down and not necessarily up. Um, it's a great question. You know what? We would have to look into, and I am sure, I am absolutely sure, this is discussed in the Mishnah, the Talmud, and Halacha, Rambam, Maimonides. I'm sure this has a full treatment in Halacha and inferences. And may, the truth is, let's see Rashi. Maybe Rashi also mentioned something. But even if Rashi doesn't, I would bet donuts of dollars. Does anyone say that? Is that a thing? Donuts of dollars? I don't know. Sounded right. In the moment in my head, it sounds right. Um, that this is discuss- that, that there is a more elaborate chain of succession uh, described in the works of Jerusalem. Obviously, based on the verses, I'm sure nuances here or there. But I'm sure it's I'm sure it's there. Um, okay. But either way, verse eleven kind of catches every catches the next relative. But I, I, the question still stands as to the as to the order. So, um, but let's read it inside. If his father has no brothers, you shall give over his inheritance to the kinsman who closest to him in his family, who shall inherit it. This shall remain a decreed statute. Interesting, a decreed statute. Chukat Mishpat. It's like a double expression of decree, decree, like la, la. As the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, now at this point, the narrative shifts to God telling Moses, go up in the mountain and look at the land. Okay, whatever. But let's, this, this concludes, thus concludes the saga, the story of Benos Tzalafcha, the daughters of Tzalafcha. So let's look at Rashi. Let's take a look. Um, God tells Moses, Tzalafcha's daughter, speak justly. As a Targum uh, uncle says, the Aramaic uh, translation translates it as rightly. Uh, they're right. They're just. They're justified. This is the way this passage is inscribed before me on high. This is. Oh, sorry. As if God said, as, I skipped the brackets for no reason. As if God said, this is the way this passage is inscribed before me on high. In other words, God says, yeah, that's, that's what the law is supposed to be. They're asking for it. Of course. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. It teaches us that their eye perceived what Moses' eye did not. Whoa, look at that. Look at that line. Their eye, the eye, the vision of the daughters of Tzalavcha, they perceived what even Moses' eye did not. They were attuned to what God, God's will was, God's mitzvah was, even on a higher level. On, well, in this case, more attuned even than Moses. Moses said, I don't know. But meanwhile, they were like, it's got to be. This, this is what makes sense. It's got to be. And God's like, you're right. So love God's daughters speak justly. Their claim is just. Fortunate. Ooh, I love this. Fortunate is the person with whose word the Holy One, blessed be he, concurs. If God agrees with you, good on you, mate. That's good. If God agrees with you, you're doing something right. Yeah. So love God's daughters. Very, very special very special group of, of people. You shall certainly give. Ah, I love this. I love this. The Hebrew is nason titain. Like natan titain. Give, give. In the English, it's you shall certainly give. But Rashi explains why a double expression is used. The double expression, nason titain, denotes two portions. They should get 
and get. Give, give. Two portions. The portion of their father, who was among those who came out of Egypt, and the portion which he shared with his brothers in the property of his father, Hefer. Interesting. Ah, I see. Interesting. Let me explain. And we had this in Rashi before. I don't know if I explained it fully, but it's, it's all, it all makes sense. Basically, in some families, you would have a situation where the father got... We're talking about now, let me just clarify, original allocation of the land of Israel. When it was originally allocated... It was allocated by those 65 families that we counted a few days ago. There were 65 families. Okay? So in that original allocation, sometimes you had father, a father and sons who all got a piece. The father got a piece because he got a piece. And the sons, let's say three sons. Father and three sons, four portions. What happens when the father passes away? Now what? You take his portion and divide it amongst the three sons. Does that make sense? So really, yeah, so that so each got their own portion on their own, because they were one of the original 65 families, plus they get their father's portion when he passed away as an inheritance. So it's not one piece. It's one, two, three, four, and that one, then if he passed away, is then divided. So all of this to explain Rashi. Rashi says, give, give. God says to Tzalafchad, uh, God says to Moses, give, give to Tzalafchad's daughters. Give, give. Why twice? Because they're actually going to get two. Two pieces. Number one, they're going to get Tzalafchad. The father's name was Tzalafchad. They're going to get Tzalafchad's portion. Right? He got, he, he earned a portion. He's one of the 65. He's, right? Got a portion. And their father had, th- sorry, their grandfather had passed away subsequently. Um, in, in the interim. So they were going to get their father's portion plus a piece of their father's father's portion, their grandfather. Again, just simply to explain how they got two portions, their father's and a piece of their father's own inheritance. All right, of, of his father. Let's continue. And you shall transfer. Um, all this comes, by the way, from the Midrash and the Talmud. So just so if you want to uh, know what the, what the brackets say, Sifri Pinchas, that's a Midrash, a Halachic Midrash. And BB, BB, love it. Like, they couldn't digitally write it out. It was going to take too many pixels. BB stands for Bava Batra, which is a Talmudic tractate. Okay, and you shall transfer. Rashi says, Hebrew Vavarta, an expression denoting anger. For God is angry when one does not leave a son to inherit him. I feel like that needs some more commentary. God is angry? All right, I don't know. Another interpretation. Since a daughter transfers an inheritance... From one tribe to another, hold on, since a daughter transfers an inheritance from one tribe to another, yes, when her son or husband inherit from her, since the prohibition of you shall not transfer inheritance was directed only in that generation. The same reason applies to the wording of the commandment, you shall transfer the inheritance to his daughter. In the case of all of them, it says you shall give over. In the case of the daughter, it says you shall transfer. Interesting. Yep. Why is it transfer? So two reasons. One, it denotes anger, which again is a very cryptic idea. We need, we need to look that up more to understand what that actually means. And then the second understanding is that she's going to transfer it possibly out of the tribe, which is what I tried to explain that before. But 
now it's coming up, so let me explain it ho- hopefully a little bit more clearly. Imagine, so Tzalafchad was from the tribe of Menashe. Tzalafchad was from the tribe of Menashe. Okay. Five daughters. Machla, Noya, Chagla, Tirza, Milka, right? Each gets uh, a portion of their father's land. Each gets a portion. Five portions, five, five divisions of, the, of this land, ultimately in the territory, in the, in the state of the tribe of Menashe. What happens? Menashe or the bad Menashe? This is what? Is it the good Menashe? Yeah, 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 this is the good Menashe. Yeah. So, as one of the 12 tribes, because Yosef was divided, Menashe and Ephraim, to 12, to, sorry, divided into two, that's how we get 12 tribes when we cut out Levi. So, yeah, this is the tribe of Menashe. The tribe of Menashe, so Tzalavchad was from that tribe, and his daughters were now going to inherit. So, they were going to inherit a, a piece. So, imagine a state. Imagine, a, imagine just a square, a nice big square. That's called Menashe, land of Menashe. And in there are different families, a bunch of families, including Tzalavchad. Tzalavchad's not alive. His daughters. What happens if they get married? At this point, it sounds like they were single. What happens when they get married? What's going to happen? They're going to get married to a guy. Which guy? I don't know. Whoever they meet. Do they have to marry within the tribe? Do they have to marry someone from Menashe? Um, mm, I don't know. Now, we're going to see this. This is going to come up in, in, in the Torah. And, and we'll find out that in that generation, in fact, they were, they were um, commanded to only marry someone from their own tribe so that the, so that the land doesn't get wonky. But, but imagine, okay, forget what happened with them practically, but imagine if um, Noah, one of the daughters, her name was Noah. Imagine Noah marries a guy from Yehuda. She falls in love. He loves her. She loves him. Oh, it's so beautiful. What a romance. They get married. Mazel tov. And her husband also comes from a, fam- from a family in Yehuda, and he has his own little portion, a house on the prairie in, 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 the, in, in Yehuda. So now what? Now what happens? Who owns the land back home in Menashe? Her land. Who owns that land? She? With her husband? So now they own in two states? You see what I mean? She's going to own land in Menashe, but her husband is from Yehuda. Her children, by the way, her children are also from Yehuda because the kids go by the father, tribal affiliation. So her children will be Yehuda. And when they pass away, when the parents pass away, the kids are going to get from their father and from their mother and from two tribes. What's going on? So Rashi says, yeah, that's what, that what, that's what could happen. By opening it up this way, when you have tribal affiliation on a paternal line, and you open up to maternal to the possibility for a daughter to inherit, then yes, you might get a situation where suddenly the tribal distinctions, the tribal territories are being blurred. Again, if there's no son, only daughters, she inherits the land of her father, she gets married to someone out of her tribe, they have kids, and now you're pulling out land from Menashe into Yehuda. So now people who affiliate with Yehuda now own land in Menashe's territory. That it creates a confusion, but it, it would be perfectly legal. 
Um, well, it depends on which generation. Rashi says that original generation, it was not, they were, they were supposed to stay in their own tribe, marry someone from their own tribe to avoid this. But ultimately, when that ban was eliminated, was, was erased, then it would be a situation where, um, where uh, this confusion could possibly um, come in and this transfer could come in where land from one tribe is transferred to the other. And that's what Rashi says, just to kind of go back and show you how it's grounded. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. Right. That is what um, Rashi says, second uh, interpretation. I'm going to read it again. Since a daughter transfers an inheritance from one tribe to another, you see, the daughter transfers an inheritance from one tribe to another. Assuming she marries outside her tribe. When her son or husband inherit from her, since the prohibition of you shall not transfer inheritance was directed only at that generation, only that generation, that first generation, the initial generation had a prohibition against marrying outside of their tribe for this reason. But otherwise, they could, and then it transferred, and then it is what it is. So that's why it's called transfer. That's why the Torah used the word havart to transfer. The same reason applies to the wording of the command, you shall transfer the inheritance to his daughter. In the case of all of them, it says you shall give over. Oh, I read that already. But in this case, the daughter says you shall transfer. Transfer meaning not only transfer to her, but she will ultimately possibly transfer it outside the tribe to her husband and her sons, her children. Okay. Um, and then the Torah says, God says, let this be known as a law and a decree. Um, kinsmen. Um, we talked about the, the chain of inheritance. We talked about it going son, daughter, um, sibling, uncle, and then anyone else who's close. Rashi says, kinsmen closest, only kin from the father's side is considered family. Again, not the mother's side. Why not the mother's side? Because they have their own inheritance they have their own tribal inheritance the mother comes from a different tribe potentially and therefore it doesn't make sense to throw the, to put this land under the auspices of another tribe it's just blurring blurring the domains and making things confusing because you would end up with a situation where geographically this is the territory of Manasseh, but this land is owned by Yehuda and this land is owned by Shimon and this land is owned. and so then 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 why are you calling this Manasseh anymore it's it's just a, a it's a mix, which might be fine, but it's not the original allocation. So therefore, um, it goes. We try to keep it as much as possible within the tribal um, uh, affiliation, which is obviously the paternal thing. So that's why we're leaning toward the paternal allocation. Rabbi, Rabbi Ari. Yes. Yeah, I've got a note here from Baba Basra. What's that? That's a Talmud. Talmud. It says that. Um, Women who stand with their land are not marry out of their tribe, which is what we're talking about. But then, I'm going to skip a little here. This is Rashi explains that Evid is in fact appropriate to use that. Uh, for it was only the generation of the wilderness to whom the prohibition against redirecting a portion from one tribe to another applied. Right. Have you covered this or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We mentioned that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But after that, they could, and it got, I guess it just got confusing. It just got a little, uh, a little blurry. What are you going to do? Sometimes things are not as straightforward as uh, as they seem, um, or as would you know, um, as as we would like them to be. Listen, life, life, life is messy sometimes. All right, let's continue verse number twelve. Now we're going to shift away from the narrative. That narrative is closed up, and we talk about succession. By the way, it's not. Just understand that every all the stories in Torah are like there's a nice flow between them, and and Rashi is going to explain this, but I'll just share it right now outside. 
get first dibs on Rashi. Now, again, I'll, we'll, we'll get in so that we have a, you know, we, we go into it understanding the, the connection. You know, after we talked about counting the people and the division of the land and Salafchad, the daughters appeal and they get the land, Moses is going to take a shot at getting into the land. Or at least getting his kids to inherit him to be the next leader. You know, Moses' sons did not inherit him. Uh, sorry, as the leader of the people, they did not inherit him. They, 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 they didn't become the next leader. It was Joshua from just a complete outsider, so to speak. I mean, ugh, I hate using that word, not an outsider. Outsider to what? But vis-a-vis to Moses, not part of the family, he was a student and dedicated and all that stuff, sure. But on a blood level, you know, not a relative. So Moses is, is going to try to petition God to, um, to ask that his son, perhaps, can take over him. And God will basically say, no. Um, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, go up to this Mount Abarim, or Avarim, and look at the land that I've given to the children of Israel. Go up on the mountain and look over the land, the promised land. And when you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. In other words, you will pass away like your brother. Why? Why won't you be able to go into the land? Because you disobeyed my command in the desert of Zin or Tzin, when the congregation quarreled, when you were to sanctify me through the water before their eyes. These were the waters of dispute at Kadesh in the desert of Tzin. God, I, this is probably the third time that this is mentioned in Torah. The reason why Moses, you're not going into the land, God says, because you didn't listen to me. You should have sanctified my name through the water, and you didn't, and therefore you're not going into the land. Basically, that's the story of him hitting the rock to produce water, as opposed to speaking to the, to the rock to produce water. All right. Um, so God basically reiterates that, yes, I just gave... Uh, we're talking about allocating the land. We're talking about giving the daughters of Tzalavcha the land. But in case you're wondering if I've reconsidered, the answer is no, you're still not going into the land. But Moses has one more card to play. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, verse 15, Let the Lord, the God of, of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Let God appoint the leader. Now, as the commentators say, he meant let God appoint my son as the leader who will go forth before them and come before them, who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You're telling me that I'm going to pass away. I'm not going to go into Israel. They need a leader. God appoint for them a leader. The Lord responds. The Lord said to Moses, yes, indeed, I agree. So take for yourself Joshua the son of Nun, a man of spirit, and you shall lay your hand upon him. That means the smicha, the, the, confer, the conferring, the leadership. We know that the smicha was done anytime something was conferred, was transferred over, and that was done here as well. Oh, it wasn't done here. He's telling him what to do. Take, your, take Joshua, lay your hand upon him, and you shall present him before Allah, the Kohen, and before the entire congregation, and you shall command him in their presence. In other words, make sure that everybody knows who you've left in charge. Otherwise, there will be a power void, a power void, a leadership void, and in voids, when things are complicated, things are confusing, 
that's when all negativity can happen. So make sure there's no confusion. Make sure it's very clear who the next in command is, and it shall be Joshua. You shall bestow some of your majesty upon him so that all the congregation of the children of Israel will take heed. Make sure that you prop him up so that people will respect him and, that, and, that, and, and so that they'll listen to him. He shall stand before Allah the Kohen and seek counsel from him through the judgment of the Urim, that's the breastplate before the Lord. By his word they shall go, and by his word they shall come, he and all Israel with him, and the entire congregation. So, jo- uh, so Moses did this. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him, and he took Joshua and presented him before Allah the Kohen and before the entire congregation. He laid his hands upon him and commanded him in accordance with what the Lord had spoken to Moses. Moses did not, did not hesitate. He did not complain. He did not ask for a recount. He didn't ask for reconsideration. He didn't resubmit. No. He said, okay, it's not going to be my son. It's going to be Joshua. And I need to tell everybody so that there's no confusion. Everything transparent, above board. Done. He did it. And he basically announced that Joshua would be the next leader to lead them into the land of Israel. Let's, we have a lot of Rashi's to cover. Let's jump in and see what Rashi says about all of this. So Moses spoke to the Lord. Uh, no, I'm sorry. God tells him to go up the mountain. Go up, to the, go up this mount. Go up to this mount Abarim. Why is this passage juxtaposed here? Why is this narrative following the previous? So when the Holy One blessed be, he said, you shall surely give them, the daughters of Tzalafchad, a piece of the land. Moses said, whoa, the omnipresent commanded me to allocate their, the, the inheritance. Perhaps the decree has been annulled and I will enter the land. Ah, if I'm giving land to Tzalafchad's daughters, then maybe I can go also. The Holy One blessed be, he therefore said to him, no, my decree remains as it was. You're not going in. And I, again, I said that before, but that's the, that's the flow of the stories. Another interpretation, since Moses had entered the territories of the descendants of God and the sense of Reuben, he rejoiced, saying, it seems that the vow made regarding me has been annulled. This can be compared to a king who decreed that his son could not enter the portals of his palace. The king entered the gate with him, the son following, the courtyard with him following, the foyer with him following. When he was about to enter the inner chamber, he said to him, my son, from here on is forbidden for you to enter. So Moses felt... You know, he was getting closer and closer to Israel, so maybe he could sneak in, and God's like, oh, no, no, the border is still, that's still the line. You're still not going to go in there. So, and two reasons, two reasons for um, for this, why this is here. Number one, Moses saw that Salafah's daughters had been given the land, so he thought maybe he he had a shot. Number two, physically, he, they were getting closer, closer and closer, so he thought maybe, and God's like, nope, that's still, that's still the border. Um, and when you have seen it, you will gather just like Aaron, uh, your, your brother was gathered. Uh, gathered is like passed away. It's a euphemism for passed away. From here, we see that Moses yearned for a death like Aaron's. And what that means is that it was a very peaceful, beautiful death. Also, by the way, it included him transferring the high priesthood to his own son, Elazar, right? So maybe Moses wanted that also, uh, be able to see passing the torch to his kid, but... That wasn't to happen. Another interpretation, you are no better than he because you did not sanctify. But if you had sanctified me, your time to depart the world would not have yet arrived. On each occasion that their death is mentioned, their sin is mentioned. For the decree had been pronounced against the generation of the desert that they should die in the desert on account of their sin that they did not believe. Moses therefore requested that his sin be mentioned so that it should not be said that he was one of those who rebelled. Interesting. 
Moses actually wanted this to be mentioned again and again. Every time God says you're not going to enter the land, why? Because of the water. Gosh, it sounds like, how? okay, we get it. I mean, it's like embarrassing already. No, Moses wanted it, according to this other interpretation in Rashi. Moses wanted us that no one should ever say that he was part of the, the sin of the spies or the people that rebelled or whatever it was, didn't believe, so that it should be clear. It was only about the water. That was the only provocation. It was only about the water, nothing else. Rabbi Ari. Yes. I'd like to add something. When I was in Hebrew school, that was a few days ago, Henry uh, <laughs> Nyman actually talked about Mitzvah Boys class and all that, the class and the phenomenal chaz. But he said Moses, he said, he said Moses was like someone who wore white. Uh, right. So that one sin on him just was, was glaring. While we don't wear white, and others don't wear white, and we have many more sins than that, but they are so obvious. It's a great analogy. I love that. I love that. It's perfect. Yeah. It's a tzaddik, a perfect tzaddik like that. Any little thing, oh, doesn't look good. It's like uh, what they say about the theory of relativity, right? What's the theory of relativity? It's all about hair, right? Somebody has one hair in their head, they're bald. If someone has one hair in their soup, it's hairy soup, right? It's like one, one, one mark on Moses on the, on the white clothes, sturdy. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great analogy. I was thinking also, as you said that, you know, imagine a very sensitive stomach, so someone without a sensitive stomach, eat anything, whatever, pile it on. Someone with a very sensitive stomach, they eat the wrong thing, forget about it. It's no good. It's not good. It's, it's, uh, it's not, not a pleasant experience. Moses was pure. He was like silk. He was like, you know, they say about the chassidim, it's an old chassidic statement. This was said already a long time ago, but they said, the older chassidim said about the older, what to them was the older chassidim. Ah, they were, you know, kind of lamenting the present and, and, and uh, romanticizing the past. Ah, in the past, Chassidim, they used to have silk mines and iron stomachs, which means they could learn Chassidim, they could learn Kabbalah, they could learn, and understand it well, and they could drink a lot of Lachaim. We, the other way around, we have iron heads and silk stomachs. We can't understand, we can't say Lachaim, nothing, garnish. Anyway. So, yeah, sensitivity, sensitivity. Moses was very sense, spiritually sensitive. In other words, wore white. Any little mark, that's it. But according to this, it's interesting. Why is it mentioned again and again? Every time, basically, every time, it's, every time the Torah tells us that Moses will not go into the land, it also mentions because of this, that sin. Just so that no one should ever mistake and be mistaken and think that Moses did something else. No, it was that. It was that. That's it. It was that. Nothing else. Nope. No big skeletons. Nothing. Um, this is analogous. Okay, Rashi gets gets uh, does a deep dive here on an, on analogy. This is analogous to two women who were flogged by the court. One for immoral behavior, adultery, and the other for eating unripe produce on the sabbatical year, which is a lighter offense. <laughs> here too. Sorry. So what's the analogy? So the woman who ate the produce was probably saying, "Hey, I didn't do that. I I just I was the fruit eater. I didn't do the other stuff. I just ate the fruit." Here too, wherever their death is mentioned, their sin is mentioned, tell you that they had no sin other than this sin alone. They're wearing white, and this is it. They hit the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, that's it. That's it. That's nothing. It is what it is. I mean, for Moses, it's something. Okay. These are the waters of dispute. These waters alone, they and Moses, they, they, sorry, they, Moses and Aaron had no other sin to their name. 
Another interpretation, those waters which instigated the rebellion of the Israelites at Mara were the same as those which caused the rebellion of the Red Sea, and those same ones provoked the rebellion in the desert of Tzin. Um, there were certain rabble-rousers or certain um, instigators that instigated a lot of the dissent and, and, and machloket disputes, but some of the same characters. All right, Moses spoke to the Lord. This verse comes to let us know the virtues of the righteous. For when they are about to depart from the world, they disregard their own needs and occupy themselves with the needs of the community. So according to this interpretation, Moses was thinking not of himself and his son and his own legacy, but about the continuity and the leadership and, and, and the fact that the people should be okay once he's gone. And so Rashi says, what a beautiful idea. That when he's about to pass away, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about his people. He's thinking about the cause. Um, he said to him, Moses said to God, answer me whether you are appointing a leader for them or not. Bottom line, are you, are you appointing someone or is it going to happen? Are you appointing someone now? Or is it just going to, you know, a free-for-all? What, what's the plan? Um, let the Lord appoint. When Moses heard, and now, we, now the interpretation flips a little bit, and this is what I was telling you before. When Moses heard that the omnipresent told him to give Tzalafchad's inheritance to his daughters, he said, it is time to ask for my own needs, that my son should inherit my high position. You see, I didn't, I didn't make this up. It's straight up Rashi. Moses said to himself, Tzalafchad is inherited by his daughters. I should be inherited by my son, the Holy One, blessed be He, said to him, that is not my intention. Basically, sorry. For Joshua deserves to be rewarded for his service, for he would not depart from the tent. Joshua was dedicated. He was committed. He was with Moses 24-7. He was the right-hand guy. This is what Solomon meant when he said, he who guards the fig eats its fruit. Oh, that's a great proverb. Look at that. Use that. Use that. He who guards the fig tree eats its fruit. If you're hanging around long enough, you'll be able to eat from the fruit. You hang around Moses long enough, you might just be his successor. Um, God of the spirits, why is this said? Uh, why does Moses call God, God of the spirits, plural? So Moses said to God, master of the universe, the character of each person is revealed to you. As you know everybody's personality, and no two are alike. No two people are alike. Appoint over them a leader who will tolerate each person according to his individual character. And here, I mean this, we could fabrain all day and all night about Look how beautiful this is. Moses says to God, you know as well as I do, if not better than I do, that everybody has their own story. Everybody's unique. Everyone, every person is a world. Make sure that whoever leads them after me gets that, understands that there's no one, there's no such thing as monolithic leadership. It's not like leadership. I'm leading this community in one way. There's no such thing as leading it one way. Everybody is an individual and needs their own attention, needs their own form of leadership over them. Everyone needs their own guidance. It's true with parenting, right? Can't parent to all your kids. You parent each kid individually. There's no one size fits all in leadership parenting or in, in business. Leadership in business, same thing, right? Can't treat everybody. Yeah, you're going to want to have standards in place that are, that are you know, fair and balanced across the board, but no two people are alike. Everyone needs, everyone has individual needs. Moses says to God, make sure whoever you appoint gets that, understands that everyone is, a, everyone is a unique individual. Who will go forth before them, not like the kings of the Gentile nations who sit at home and send their armies to war. But as I did, Moses says, as I did, for I fought against Sichon and Og, as it says, do not fear him. And as Joshua did, as it says, Joshua went with him and said to him, are you, 
Are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua also went out to battle. Similar concerning David, it says, for he went forth and came in before them. He went out to battle at their head and came in before them. In other words, he was the first, first lines, who will lead them out through his merits and bring them in through his merits. Another interpretation, who, who will bring them in means that you should not do to him as you did to me, for I may not bring them into the land. Make sure you don't appoint another leader and tell him also, ah, change my mind, you're also not going in. Don't do that. Let this leader actually bring them in to the promised land. God said to Moses, take for yourself, encourage him verbally. We, Rashi has said this consistently throughout. It's like, I don't know, half a dozen times. When the Torah says take, kach, take, doesn't mean physically take him by the arm. It means convince him, sell him on it, encourage him verbally, and say, fortunate are you that you merited to lead the children of the omnipresent. By the way, remember when Moses was being um, solicited to be, the, to be the leader? And he's like, no, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. It took a week for God to convince him. So God says to Moses, okay, when you speak to Joshua, tell him that I said he should be the next leader. But when you speak to him, tell him how amazing it is. <laughs> oh, it's the best job ever. How lucky, how lucky you are that you have this job. He's like, are you sure? Because it seemed pretty difficult over the years. I was with you. I was guarding the fig tree, remember? That didn't look easy. Anyway, but that's the point. The point is, take him, take him in with words. Explain to him how important this is, how lucky you are to lead the children of God. Uh, for yourself, someone verified by you, someone you know. A man of spirit. A man of spirit, as you requested. Someone able to deal with character of each one. So important. I, I know I said it already before, but like... The ability to deal with people individually, what they need, it's a tremendous gift. Tremendous gift, and that's what a leader should be. Lay your hand upon him, provide him with an announcer so that he can expound halachic discourses during your lifetime so that they should not say about him that he dared not raise his hand in the days of Moses. In other words, he should already have experience in your lifetime. Before you pass away, he should, already have, he should already have experience lecturing and teaching and expounding. And yeah, give him a mouth, give him a mouthpiece, give him an announcer before microphones, give him a, a platform, set up his TikTok account, make sure that he's already tweeting before you pass away. You shall present. Yes. I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I have a note on that. It says in earlier times, a Taurus sage would deliver his lectures indirectly. He had a maturgaman, yeah. a spokesman, to whom he would quietly and briefly tell his ideas in the presence of the audience. The maturgaman would then explain and elaborate on the sage's ideas to the public. Giving Joshua a maturgaman was thus a sign of handing over authority to him. Nice, beautiful. Beautiful. That's a, that's a much easier way to, to, to give a class, by the way. It's like, <laughs> explain the Rashi. So, and then that other guy does all the. That's great. Wow. That would make things easier. Um, uh, I'm kidding, of course. Now, a maturgaman literally means a translator. But as you read uh, correctly, translator here doesn't mean from Hebrew to English. It means from a brief idea, a kernel of an idea, 
to something more elaborate that the people can understand. Obviously, the maturgaman, the translator, it's a bad word for it, but the, the announcer, the translator, was someone well-versed in Torah and well-versed in the way of thinking of the one who he was working with so that he could tell him kind of very brief words and that he could accurately expound upon it. Um, and you shall command him concerning Israel, be aware that they are troublesome and obstinate. Make sure to warn him. You accept office on condition that you take upon yourself all this, on condition that you don't run away. <laughs> when things get challenged, they will. The people are they're troublesome and obstinate. With all, Listen, this is all with love. Don't ever think for a moment this wasn't with love. It's like, I love them, but they're so stubborn, right? I love them, but they can be a pain in the, you know. So listen, so you're going to have to, you have to deal with them. So that's it. You'll deal with them and, but no running for the hills, right? You're in, you're in. You're in it to win it. You shall bestow some of your majesty upon him. This refers to the radiance of the skin of his face. Remember when Moses came down after the second tablets and his skin was shining and, you know, it was luminescent. So he'll also have a bit of a shining uh, punim. Shining face. Some of your majesty, but not all your majesty. Thus we learn that the face of Moses was radiant like the sun, whereas the face of Joshua was like the moon. So jo- Moses was like the sun, Joshua like the moon. So they, they, they had radiance in their, each in their own, each in their own, uh, their own way. So that the congregation of children of Israel will take heed, meaning that they will behave toward him with reverence and awe, just as they behaved toward you. I mean, Halavai, they would have behaved with, to Moses with reverence and awe, but the goal here is that they should do that, to um, relate like that to Joshua. He shall stand before Lazar the priest. Rashi hears the response to the request that you made, that your children should inherit you. This honor shall not depart from your father's house, for even Joshua will have need for a Lazar, ah, his nephew. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so God, mm, interesting. Aha, uh-huh. so God says to Moses, I, I, I can't, give you what you want regarding your son. Your son is not going to inherit you. But, but, I'll, I'll make him, I'll tell you, Joshua will also have to work together with Elazar, the Kohen, your brother's son, your nephew. So you're still going to have, you're still going to have um, family involvement and the, the legacy and the kids. And what, not going to be your kids, your brother's kids. There will be some sort of legacy situation, and he'll have to. He'll seek Joshua will seek counsel from him from Elazar when he finds it necessary to go to war. Uh, and by his words, Elazar's words, and the entire congregation, the Sanhedrin. So that is how um, things will run. Moses did all this. He took Joshua. He took him by encouraging him with words. Again, not physically took him, not schlepped him, not uh, you know. Um, Corralled, wrangled, no, not corralled or wrangled, but with words. And informed him of the reward in store for the leaders of Israel in the world to come. <laughs> I love that. It's going to be difficult here, but one day, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be worth it. You're going to get a lot of reward. All right, he laid his hands uh, generously, one, uh, sorry, over and above what he had been commanded. For the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, and you shall lay your hand upon him. But he did it with both of his hands. He fashioned him like a full and overflowing vessel, filling him with wisdom and abundance. In other words, when he transferred, when he empowered Joshua, he didn't just do it like, uh, fine. You know, some people, when they empower someone else, they do it with only one hand. Because the other hand, they're still holding on to something. And ready to pull it back at any time. Oh, oh, if you're not doing it, oh, I got it back. 
It's not, no, two hands, both hands. Both hands generously uh, passing on the torch to Joshua. In accordance with with what the Lord had spoken to Moses, that is, also with respect to the majesty, he bestowed some of his majesty radiance upon him. All right, so that is it for the reading. That is it for the reading. Give me one second. Hold on. Um... Okay, so this concludes today's reading. We had a tale of two readings, really, two, two pieces in it. First piece was finishing off the story of Tzalavchad and his da- daughters, and God says, yes, give them the land. They spoke, they, they, they requested justly, and they're right, then they get the land, and etc. Give it to them, let's create a whole law about this, a law of succession, sons, daughters, um, siblings, uncles, any, any relative, etc. We spoke about the challenge of you know, the daughters getting it and then marrying out of the tribe. And so therefore there was a provision, at least for that generation, not to, which we haven't yet read inside, but I told you about. Um, and then we read about Moses. Moses is thinking about himself. Man, they're getting into land. Everyone's getting a piece of land. Can I, do I have a shot? No. How about my children? How about my son? Does he have a shot? Not at entering land, but at, at taking, at, you know, in, taking over my position? No. If you think of it, of it this way, and, and, and it's, I, I don't want to present it as sad, but maybe it is a little sad. Moses, the greatest leader of the Jewish people, didn't get his two biggest wishes to be fulfilled. Himself to go into the land, to see the land of Israel himself, and for his son to inherit. He gets told no on both. You know what's crazy? How many things has Moses asked for? For himself? All the years. Nothing. The only, thing, the only time he asks from God, it's for the Jewish people. Forgive them, help them, save them, water, food. He asked on their behalf. Dedicated, dedicated, dedicated servant and leader. Servant leadership. He asked for two things for himself. Can I go into, can I go into the land? No. Can my son take me over? No. You know, are we going to look at the story of Moses as, as a tragedy? It's not a tragedy. But there's a little bit of a sadness over there. Sadness of dreams unfulfilled. And it reminds us of a truth in life. And that is a truth that I seem to be repeating very often. You might not get the job done. You might not see it through to the end. But you got to do whatever you can while you're, while you're still here. Right? We have to do everything we can while we're still here to get to the finish line. We may not get over the finish line. We may, you know, we may depart from this world with dreams and wishes unfulfilled, but we keep on going. I, I don't want to give the impression that I view the story of Moses and the legacy of Moses as a tragic one, steeped in sadness and, 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 and uh, you know, broken dreams. But we can't ignore the fact that he did have broken dreams. Personally, he had two wishes, to go into the land and for his son to have a position. Didn't happen. But that's the truth in life. We don't always get what we want, but what his legacy really is, not what he wanted and didn't get. It's what he did. It's what he did. It's what he gave. And ultimately, Moses' story is one of incredible, I don't know what the right word is. It's, it's, it's astounding what he did.
selfless, dedicated leader that took the Jews from a no-name, anonymous slave people to their own identity with a Torah and a mission and a calling and a step into the promised land. That's Moses' legacy. And And he is the greatest leader of all time. But he also gave to Joshua. Yeah. He imparted to Joshua. So yeah. it was it wasn't his son. Right. You're saying it was he's his protege. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is his protege. Yeah. Yeah. We don't always do we don't we don't write the script to the end. But whatever we can write, we can do it to the best of our ability and with, with joy and love and openness. And that's what Moses did. Whatever he was given, whatever opportunities he was given. He maxed. He maximized. He, uh, he gave it his all. And when it wasn't meant to be, oh, and, sorry, and what wasn't meant to be, wasn't meant to be. So we choose not to focus on the negative. Not to focus on the, what he didn't get. Let's focus on what he did. What he did was let the people like, like no one else. And in that moment, as Joy is pointing out, in that moment where he had to pass the baton to someone else, he did it with both hands. They're with both hands, not one hand. Not one hand like, okay, I'll do it, but I really don't like it, or I really hope I was someone else, or I really hope it was me still going into Israel. Two hands, all in. Because that's what, that's, what, that's what Moses does. Whatever God says, he's in. It's not about him. Clearly, it's not about him. Even when he might want it to be about him, it's not about him. He does it with love. All right, so many lessons to unpack I don't even want to live. Yeah. And I just said one thing. Sure. I, I, have, I have heard that God didn't want Moses to have a dynasty. And that's another reason, excuse me, his burial place was secret. Right. Because, because it was not desired for him to be worshipped. Right. Deified. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that also. I've heard that also as, as to why his name is not mentioned at the Seder. We don't speak about Moses. Look at the Seder. Look at the Agada. There's only one. Moses' name is mentioned once. And it's part of a verse that's being cited for another reason. It's like, it's like a verse about the splitting of the sea that happens to mention Moses you know, in there. You would think when we wrote the story of the Haggadah, of the Exodus, it would be Moses did this. Moses did that. Moses said to Pharaoh. Moses came to the people. Moses, 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 Moses. Nope. So some say that's because of that. Others say it's because of Moses' humility. He would have never wanted to be front and center. He would have never wanted to be deified. He would have never wanted to be, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a you know, place of pilgrimage to see him. Did he want a son to lead? Sounds like it, according to Rashi. Did he want to go into the land? Yeah, for sure. That we know for sure. Anyway. Life doesn't give us 100% of what we want. That's the message, at least for me. Life doesn't, we're not guaranteed to get 100% of what we want out of life. But we can give 100% to the life that we have. That's the point. We can give 100%. Thank you very much for joining me today for DPP. Hope this resonated. Um, I I know certainly for me it's resonating. Um, Tonight, we have a masterful session. Tonight's Torah studies class starting at 7.30 is all about the Haftorah, the life and times of Jeremiah. And we'll address the question, when does life begin? 
That's all I'm going to say right now. Tonight, 7.30. It's a teaser. Uh, Mark has taught me his marketing uh, tricks. That's, that's what I'm using right now. 7.30 p.m. We'll see you in person or on Zoom. It's also Donna's birthday. She texted me. She's going to come over, maybe bring a little l'chaim to uh, Chabad. So if you want to stop by in person, we can also share a little l'chaim and good wishes. All right. Wish. See, uh, uh, Donna Bogatin. Donna Jewelry. Today is her birthday? Tomorrow, I believe, is her birthday. Tomorrow. So tonight, tomorrow. Yeah. That sort of thing. All right. Sarah and Mark and Joy and Sandra. And I'll tell her to jump on DBP tomorrow. I'll tell her that we miss her and we'll, we'll do a little uh, toast as well. <laughs> Virtual toast. Okay. We'll see you all. Have a great day. Zeigesund. Take care. Everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.